Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello and welcome to season two of We Made a Beer. My name is Louise. My name's Lucy. And this is We Made a Beer, the podcast in which we, two beer novices, find out about beer by brewing it, drinking it and chatting to the experts about it. Last season was our first ever attempt at brewing beer and making podcasts together, and we had a whole lot of fun. But this is season two, which means we're going bigger and we're brewing much better beer. This time around, we're travelling across the UK, checking out really exciting breweries that we love and delving deeper into some super interesting beery themes and trends. We want to indulge our love of sour beer, explore collaborative brewing, try our hand at oak-aged beers and attempt to work out what good beer really is. So, let's kick things off. The title of this week's episode is I Don't Like Beer. Don't worry, we haven't gone completely mental since the last season, but we have heard this phrase from quite a few of our friends recently. So we wanted to start by exploring some less conventional tasting beers, as well as looking into the reasons why some people think they just don't like beer. In this episode, Andrew Cooper, co-founder of the Fantastic Wild Beer Co., tells us about their experiments in tastes and flavours outside the normal spectrum of beer. We cooked lobsters in the wort (laughs) and we then took the flesh out of the lobsters, put the shells back under the grill and then put that back in in the boil as well. We also meet Dr Debbie Parker, who explains the theories behind why some people think they just don't like beer. Most bitter things that you find in nature tend to have uh, poisonous toxins. So they're sort of ideas that women do tend to have a high sensitivity to bitterness because it's a a defence. And we try to decide what to infuse our first brew with in order to make a beer that doesn't taste like beer. Are you going to suggest sausages again? (laughs) Not this time. (laughs) Hey, we're loads more professional this time round, you know? (laughs) We make our show alongside the lovely folks at You Brew London, an open brewery where you brew the beer. In episode one of season one, we chatted to the co-founders who taught us how to brew. Last season, we mucked around in the brewery, brewing a whole load of okay beers, as well as one truly terrible one. But this time round, we want to brew bigger and better. Now, we all know a few people who'll proclaim, I don't like beer. Each to their own, I guess. But we're not sure that they're aware of the full spectrum of beers available. The truth is, beer is really diverse. And we don't just mean the extremes of a dark and malty porter versus a light and refreshing lager. There are beers out there that taste literally nothing like the flavour the word beer conjures up in your mind. For us, one of our favourite styles of beer is sour beer. Now, don't scrunch your face up and think about Haribo Tang Fastics. Sour beer, when brewed well, is a refreshing delight and can be really interesting in flavour. Some of the best sour beers are made over many years, gathering huge amounts of complex flavours along the way. Sadly, we've got a deadline to hit and don't have the luxury of time. Luckily, our friend and brewing guru, Tash, knows of a few faster ways to make sour beer. Regular listeners to the podcast will remember that Tash is a legit brewer whose help will be very much needed during this season, as we're hoping to get all of our beers onto the Yebrew taps. We'll be working together alongside Tash on all of our beers to formulate our recipes and brew up tasty beer. Before we started brewing, we took a couple of our favourite sour beers into Yebrew for a tasting session. 
Tash, have you missed us? So very much. I, I spy some uh, sarcasm there. <laughs> no, I'm excited. I'm excited we're doing this again. <laughs> um, so this week we want to brew a sour beer. I know there's like some difficulty in brewing sour beer. How's that going to affect what we do today? So there are a few ways that we could brew a sour beer. Um, we could either go with the, the wild yeast route using things like Brassanomyces, which are pretty uh, pretty gnarly wild yeasts, or uh, a castle sour. So you brew your wort as normal with your mash um, and you add your lactobacillus bacteria, keep it at a constant temperature of about 45 degrees for two to three days and that allows the lactic acid to form. Facilities for that aren't really what we have here. Um, so we're going to go the kind of workaround, which is um, by adding food grade lactic acid to our wort um, in secondary fermentation. Lactic acid is what is produced by most souring bacteria. So lactobacillus, which is a pretty common bacteria, it's found in yogurt and our gut, etc. And also pediococcus, they both produce lactic acid. So we're going to do a bit of a sneaky workaround. Instead of using those bacteria that could potentially contaminate other beers, we're going to use some food-grade lactic acid to sour the beer. Cool. I still have no idea what we're doing, but I'm really excited. <laughs> um, so in terms of sour beer, do you know anything about like the culture of it, where it comes from and stuff? So historically, all beers used to be sour beers. Um, before we were able to isolate strains of yeast, all beers were fermented with wild yeast. Um, so certain breweries, specifically in parts of Belgium, um, would have a specific strain of bacteria that existed in their brewery. They do open-top fermentation, so things like lambics. That strain of bacteria is, is known for producing sour, tart flavours. Now, because we can isolate those things, we can buy lactobacillus in a packet and Brettanomyces in a vial. Um, we can add them to our beer either instead of regular ale or lager yeast or as alongside regular ale or lager yeast. Perfect. Shall we taste some beers? Sure. Right, first up, Madhata Tatsiki Sour. Sure. What does it say? Kick back and relax with this drink of the gods made using Greek yoghurt to sour with added cucumbers and mint soaked in ouzo. Yamas. Right, so um, from what I remember, it's the old sniff swill swallow. Sniff swill swallow. <laughs> so this episode is kind of for people who think they don't like beer. Um, this tastes not that much like beer, it tastes more like tzatziki. It tastes exactly like tzatziki. Um, <laughs> with a bit of malt, sorry, in the back. Yeah, so um, exactly what it says on the tin, they sour it with uh, Greek yogurt. So Greek yogurt has that lactobacillus bacteria that we talked about. So that that's allowed to develop in the beer, which forms that tart flavour. There's cucumbers, there's mint, um, and I'm imagining that the ouzo component is used to sterilise the cucumbers, probably added as a dry hop. They need to be sterilised. Um, yes, going with the Greek theme um they used ouzo rather than perhaps vodka like uh, like other breweries might uh, using cucumber and mint as a dry hop has allowed heaps of the aromas to come through so you get really like vibrant you know crisp cucumber flavors um the mint is a little bit more subtle just because mint is a bit more delicate and volatile as an ingredient but i think the best thing about this beer is that despite the fact that it tastes more like tzatziki than beer it doesn't taste like a gimmick it doesn't taste like oh i'd have a half bite and then i wouldn't touch it again yeah. i would quite happily drink this all afternoon yeah. so we brought this one along because you mentioned it last year actually and because we saw it in the shop and thought that won't taste like beer <laughs> um, so uh, that's why we kind of went for the tzatziki sour Cool, so next up we have the sourdough uh, from Wild Beer Co. It says we have uh, used the 58-year-old sourdough culture and a little Britannomyces to put the beer straight into oak barrels for its primary fermentation. So this has got the gnarly yeast that we can't use here because yeah. there's a worry that it might sort of infect all the other beers. Yeah. So uh, the other interesting thing about this is that um, normally when things are um, barrel-aged, that's done after fermentation, so it's fermented in, in stainless steel and then moved into barrels, whereas this has been fermenting from the very beginning in, in oak barrels, so we should get a really interesting oaky flavour, um, a little bit of 
funkiness from the Brettanomyces. You get kind of dirty, earthy um, flavor, and then uh, hopefully some nice kind of sour notes from the from the sourdough starter. So it does smell really tart. I'm not, I'm not smelling much Brettanomyces now. It's been souring for four months. Often Brett can take quite a long time for the full flavors to develop. It's quite a long maturing wild yeast. So it might be that that Brettanomyces comes out more in the next few months so it might be an interesting one to hang on to um, but you're getting a really lovely like kind of sweet sourness bready bready flavor from the sourdough starter it's lovely really yeah, yeah. i thought these were a good sort of pairing so tzatziki sour is an example of putting things into a sour beer and this is an example i guess of just celebrating the sourness of a sour beer right mm-hmm. yeah no it's a really interesting combination of a few different souring techniques um i'm not getting much oakiness i'm getting a little bit of sweetness which i think is probably from the the fermentation in the barrels but um i think there is just like a nice sweet kind of doughy acidity on it it's it's beautiful so if we could just talk about our recipe for a little bit and obviously the theme of this episode is i don't like beer so for us we really want to kind of create something that either tastes like a you know a familiar food or a familiar drink and we've got a couple of ideas that we'd just like to throw you away and um wait and see what your eyebrows do and that's how we'll know whether it's a good one or not brilliant are you gonna suggest sausages again not this time <laughs> hey we're loads more professional this time around you know um, so the first thing i want to throw you away due to an incident in our local garden center we now have an awful lot of lemon thyme and kept going back and thinking we were buying time but actually we were just buying more lemon time so uh, how about like a lemon time sour what do you think of that um I, I like the idea obviously like anything lemony is going to work in a sour the one thing that concerns me is perhaps the the play between tartness and the like, a herbal flavor of the time it could work but um i think it we maybe if we visit some other options and, and weigh them against each other not okay. not totally sold on the lemon time just yet and um, what do you what are you thinking uh, i don't know the eyebrows are sort of a medium level there I, I'm, 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 i would concur my eyebrows would concur okay yeah. um other ideas we were thinking is like maybe a summer drink so like cocktails so maybe like um a Pims. I suppose Pims is quite fruity, maybe. It is, yep, yep. I mean, cucumber, citrus fruits, all of that would, would definitely work well. Also still quite herbal, so on that same vein. Mm-hmm. Um, what about something like um, a mojito? So some lime, some mint. We have a lot of mint in our garden as well at the minute. There was another incident in the garden centre. Brilliant. All right, so this is all out of convenience. So this whole, whole podcast around the charade. surplus of herbs at your house. Got it. Um, yeah, no, mojito sounds great. I mean, obviously, um, lime zest, lime juice is going to give us really nice tartness to work with, uh, with our lactic acid. Mint will give you that freshness that you that you liked in the tzatziki sour. I think it sounds, sounds like a pretty good... I thought the brow game was high there. Mm. Mm, good brow. Ooh, kind of brows. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything you can do about the sweetness? So with mojito, you tend to have a tiny bit of sweetness in there as well, or is that kind of should we just leave that and leave it to the tart I mean with the lactic acid we're going to be using the, the predominant flavour we're going to get is tart acidity and sweetness are a matter of balance so um, we could add some sweetness but all that's actually going to do is make the acidity the tartness seems lower it's not like we're not actually necessarily going to get both of those flavours yeah. but I think if we're going to go the mojito route we're going to stick with the tartness cool. so how are we going to make this beer that tastes like mojito like in terms of the lime what do we do there so we'll, uh, we'll use the lime and the mint as a, as a dry hop so it will go into the fermenter during secondary fermentation if we're going to go mojito maybe we could sterilize in some white rum and i like this we're riffing yes, off each other here <laughs> in terms of the lime are we literally just bobbing some limes in there how's that work um what we'll do is we'll uh we'll take the zest and we want to avoid the pith the white stuff that's going to give us a soapy flavor zest has lots of essential oils the the flavor in the oils will remain whereas the flavor in, in the juice in the in the sugar will ferment off a little bit so we're going to get the most vibrant flavor from the zest we'll put the juice in as well 
because why not? I'm really excited by this. My brows have raised as well. Yeah, look at those go. <laughs> they are. <laughs> have you missed us coming to your work and just getting you a bit drunk? These are the best days at work. <laughs> so I can't do anything else. Very important meetings all day. <laughs> and there we go. The idea was born for a mojito sour. For the full recipe, head to wemadeabeer.co.uk. In a way, this concept of if you don't like beer, you should try sour beer is something we've just made up. We don't have any science to back up our thought process. We just think, well, this doesn't taste like beer, so you might well like it. But that's not enough for us. We love some facts. So we went off to talk to Dr Debbie Parker. Dr Debbie is a beer sommelier and a scientist. She's a biochemist with over 25 years in brewing research and currently works at a sensory facility called Marketing Sciences. Using a trained panel of tasters with super special taste buds, often called super tasters, marketing sciences can help companies conduct product and market research, covering everything from appearance, aroma, flavour, mouthfeel, aftertaste and texture. The panel score attributes on a scale of 0 to 100, which gives a brewery a full fingerprint of the beer they're exploring. We started by asking Dr Debbie to explain how the process works. <laughs> So we take people, we screen them and we choose the people that have got the best sensory acuity and we then progress and train them further. We're looking at how well they can discriminate between small differences in products, how well they can describe what they're smelling and tasting because that's very important. You know, it's like something, if you give somebody something to sniff and they and they get, oh, it's like, oh, you remember, oh, it reminds mm-hmm. me of, oh, being on the beach in, oh, what is it? <laughs> Coconut. Oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's been able to recall immediately what those flavours are and they need to be able to rate the intensity of those flavours in the product. Um, So why is it important that humans get involved with this? Why can we not just rely on lab tests? Well there are machines, um, the electronic nose and electronic tongue, which are very good at picking out certain compounds at very very low levels but they can't pick out the complexity that humans can and also unlike machines we can give an evaluation of the overall picture and how everything combines together, because it's not just how much the intensity of this particular flavour is in the product, it's how it all gels together. So do you ever have people just say to you, your job sounds cool, but I just don't like beer? Yes, and I said, well, just give these a go. You know, you may be surprised. And within the normal set of beers, the standard ones, you know, the lagers and your ales, that, you know, we will put in wheat beers and we put in sours and we put in um, perhaps even ales and lagers that they're surprised at because, you know, a lot of people get stuck on the on the same style or the same type of brand and they think that's all that's there. And of course, we know that there's such a huge, huge diversity of beer and beer styles. So, um, yes, I think that, that they're not liking beer. Um, it does tend to be mostly women. And of course, the bitterness side of beer is part of that. But I think more so than just bitterness, it is the balance of the beer. You know, I don't think women are averse to bitterness completely. Um, it's just how that bitterness lingers and the other flavours that can be there to balance it. So genetically, women are women more susceptible to dislike bitter flavours? Is that what you mean? Um, yes. I mean, th- th- there has been a lot of um, studies shown that women do tend to have a high sensitivity to bitterness. And it may be that genetically it's, it's evolved because obviously we are the first port of call when it, when it comes to 
nurturing babies. And, you know, most bitter things that you find in nature tend to have uh, poisonous toxins. So there's sort of ideas that's how it's been developed, that women, you know, generally a little bit more sensitive to these because it's a, it's a, it's a defence mm-hmm. against taking anything that's, that's nasty. But we, we, we can train ourselves to, to like bitter things. Coffee mm-hmm. is, is a good example. Beer is another example. I really persevered with coffee. And I've got to say, probably best decision I made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have like no sensitivity to bitterness, basically. <laughs> so I'm all about, yeah, very strong coffee. I can deal with much more bitter beers than, than Lou can. But the bitterness is, um, there. I mean, there's various different bitter compounds. Mm-hmm. We've just named a few. We've got mm-hmm. the hot bitterness in beer. You've got the caffeine. You've got quinine in, in tonics. So so there's different types of bitterness. And, it, and you know, you might not like one, but you might might not mind another. Mm-hmm. So it's one of these things where exposure, experience, and if the experience is pleasurable, then you get over your dislike of that particular mm. um, compound, if that's inherent. Mm. So when people are saying that they don't like beer, and I've got loads of friends that just sort of say, yeah. oh, great that you're doing this podcast, but I just don't like beer. What is it that they you think that they are thinking of? It could be a number of things. I mean, it could be the fact that they just associate a bitter Mm-hmm. flavour and they don't like bitterness mm-hmm. and it may be just the image that, that beer has got you know the fact that you know you have to drink it by the bucket you don't mm-hmm. you know <laughs> you know there's nothing on a beer bottle which says I must be consumed you know in vast quantities it could be the glasses as we know you know it's much more aesthetically pleasing to drink from something that looks nice mm-hmm. um, and encourage you to drink small amounts so we were doing a bit of research and a few things say different things in different places but we saw that for example in the UK um, one of the biggest sellers if not the biggest seller is like Stella Artois um, can you describe the basic flavour profile of Stella Artois because that's it. if a lot of people are drinking that maybe a lot of people think that's that's beer Stella Artois is a um, it's a continental style lager so that style of beer has a, a, a very sort of multi cereal multi flavour. Um, it is very bitter for a lager. Not the bitter, you know, most bitter. You get Czech lagers, Pilsner Urkel, which is more bitter. And obviously the Sartre hops gives it a very, very sharp, clean, citrusy, lemon, grapefruit character. So all in all, it's actually a full flavoured and quite a challenging beer to drink mm-hmm. um, for, for a lot of people. They may not like that style because it is sharp, very bitter. But also it's very refreshing because of those qualities. And obviously its advertising has been great, which has helped enormously. And I think that's helped to raise its popularity. I guess a lot of it's availability as well. Like it, it's available it in loads of pubs. If, you know, your more sour beer styles were available too, you might see a bit of a, a change. But I mean, we went through this list of the UK's favourite drinks and mm-hmm. lagers totally dominated it. Yes, and, and they're serving a purpose, lagers. I mean, they wouldn't be dominating if people weren't buying them. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as a group of, of beers, and particularly the ones, the mainstream ones, you know, they're, they are easy drinking, they're not too challenging. Mm-hmm. And they're thirst quenching. And most people, if they go into a pub, they want something that's not going to be too challenging. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, cellar's not flavoursome, because it is, but not in the way that a sour or a... Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or some of the, the very hoppy ales are going to be. If someone comes up to you and says, I don't like beer, do you have like a bit of a backstock in your mind, like an armoury of beers that you'll suggest to them just to get them out of that mindset? Yes, yes, I will suggest that they try. I mean, I'll ask them first a little bit about what it is that they think they don't like about beer. And if they say bitterness, I go, OK, go away and try um, a Budweiser. It's no bitterness, very fruity, um, very clean, very crisp. Um, or something like Doombar or, or Thwaites Wainwright, which is has got all the lovely hop and fruity and multi character, but without the bitterness mm-hmm. or a lower bitterness. Um, try a cherry beer, 
make sure you're eating a chocolate brownie at the same time because then you get, you know, it's lovely, lovely combination, deconstructed Black Forest Gatto in your mouth, you mm-hmm. know. Um, or try a wheat beer. The banana esters that you get from that speciality yeast together with that clovey, spicy flavour and they're not bitter generally. So there's lots of things that you can suggest to go and try and I do. Do you think if we like blindfolded someone and gave them a sour beer but didn't tell them it was a beer that they would be able to tell it was a beer just from the background sort of taste? Not particularly, no. I mean the malt, malt hit is very low, mm-hmm. the hop hit is very low. Well, obviously, that's what we do here all the time mm. because our panellists never see what they're, yeah. they're, they're tasting. They don't know the brands. Because when you know the brand mm. and your preconceptions of what that brand is generally overrides actually what you are tasting. And that is the beauty of having an independent test as well. It's because we see the beer for what it actually is, not what they think it is. Mm. Day to day, how many people say to you, I reckon I'm a super taster, you know? <laughs> uh, yes, well, yes, we have had that. <laughs> Yes, yes, we do get that. Um, and yes, and that probably is true because I think, you know, it's about 25% of the population. You know, some people are just much more aware of what they're tasting and it does tend to be that women are much better at focusing in. I really like this idea of like mm-hmm. a, a group of elite tasters yeah. just wandering around this building right now. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. There's a beer out there for everyone. After the break, we up sticks and head to Somerset to chat to Wild Beer Co, a brewery who are widely known for making amazing sour beers with wonderful flavours. We Made a Beer is brought to you by, well, just us actually. It's produced, presented and funded by our good selves. This season though, we're working alongside Honest Brew, our favourite online beer service, to make the beers we talk about in this show more accessible to you. We use Honest Brew to get brewery-fresh craft beer delivered directly to our door, so we've always got some tasty drinks chilling in the fridge. We've partnered with Honest Brew for a limited time to offer you a fantastic mix case. The We Made a Beer case contains 12 great beers that have been either brewed or recommended to us by Season 2's podcast guests, or that have just inspired this series. And if that wasn't enough of a treat, we can get you a whopping £10 off your first order using the coupon code WEMADEABEER. Use it to get the We Made a Beer box or to just expand your beer tasting horizons. To recap, go to honestbrew.co.uk, spend over £30 and use the code We Made a Beer at checkout for £10 off. Check out the episode description in your podcast player for the full T's and C's. Happy drinking! Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Wild Beer Co. is the brainchild of Andrew Cooper and Brett Ellis, 
Of all the sour beer producers in the UK right now, their beers are the ones that most inspired this episode. They've got a great range, with each beer showcasing some wildly different flavours. Many of their beers taste nothing like what you'd expect from the word beer. So, if you don't like beer, you might just like what they have to offer. First up, we chatted with Stuart Ross. He's the head brewer of Wild Beer and knows a thing or two about yeast. Now, yeast isn't always the sexiest of topics, but in order to understand sour beer, you need to talk yeast. Lots of the wild beer sours use a strain of yeast called Brettanomyces, or Brett for short. So we asked you to explain what Brett is and how it affects their beer. So Brett is a species of yeast, which is often referred to as a a wild yeast. So in comparison to Saccharomyces, which is the most commonly used yeast for fermenting beer, that's very domesticated. Different strains have gone in different directions and and basically trained to, to produce beer quickly and cleanly. Brettanomyces is also seen as an off flavour in, in modern uh, production beer facilities. Um, it can produce flavours that, that range from really sort of barnyard funky flavours through to, you know, really inspiring sort of fruity and, yeah, phenolic. All sorts of flavours are, are in there. What do you think is the hardest thing about selling sour beer to, to the general public? Um, obviously, people in, in this country have not necessarily experienced it in, in mainstream bars. People are starting to to pick up on it and understand it as a, as a concept. I think one of the biggest challenges, though, is because it's become quite a craze and people are catching on to it, everybody wants to have a barrel programme or, or a sour programme. And one of the things that I think people really need to remember is that you need to invest a lot of time in it. It takes a lot, a lot of trial and error and a lot of time to get things right. And you can't rush these things. So if we end up with a lot of quick sours without the complexity and the balance on the market, then people probably won't get the full picture mm. and probably won't appreciate it as much as they could if, if they're buying something more traditional. We let the beer tell us when it's done rather than us trying to force anything. <laughs> So hopefully the thought of all those intensely different flavours has got your taste buds tingling. And if that hasn't, then this next bit definitely will do. Fresh from our yeasty chat with Stu, we moved the conversation over to the Barrel Cellar, where we caught up with co-founder Andrew. We wanted to know how the idea for Wild Beer came about. So Brett and I started the business together nearly four and a half years ago and when we first came up with the concept and the ideas for it we were excited to explore what yeast could mean in beer in the UK. So a lot of people were exploring how to use malt in different ways, how to use hops in different ways, but not that many people were really exploring fermentation. And we kind of thought of ourselves as both brewers, but also people who were genuinely excited by flavour. And we felt the most interesting and complex ways to make beer was using wild fermentations, making slow beer, maturing it in different ways. So using wood, we're stood here in in our barrel cellar and we have nearly 500 oak barrels in here and maturing beer in in wood gives great complexity and allows beer to mature in a different way in a slow way that you don't get in in pale ales in best bitters in lagers in those kind of beers so you've got this amazing range of like really really exciting beers um how do you actually kind of come up with an idea for a new beer We tend to, I suppose, reverse engineer a lot of our beers. We might eat something or might drink something and 
get an idea from the taste or the flavor or the ingredient or even the process and then kind of work that back into what a beer might be so we wouldn't generally turn up for work and go right we're going to create a new beer let's brew a porter it might be ah had this cocktail had this dinner had this ingredient where there was coffee grounds or cocoa nibs or something and, and that ingredient then might inspire us to make a beer that ends up coming back to a porter base for example we definitely take inspiration from the area and just try to approach making beer with a very open mind has there been any ingredients that you've been like i am desperate to put this in a beer and you've tried and it just really hasn't worked one of the beers we were disappointed with generally was a beer we made with elderflowers and strawberries it was okay but uh, but it didn't quite hit the highlights I, i've tasted people who've used elderflower much much better than we have in beer and it's never been a flavor that i'm overly excited about but we make some beers with foraged ingredients we're luckily enough to be surrounded by hedgerows that are bountiful and every year we make a beer called redwood which is uh, foraged autumn fruits age for a year in barrels and then release the following autumn and that beer has always been quite exciting because we age each individual fruit in a different barrel and sometimes individually they don't always taste amazing but when you bring them together the blend it turns into something quite special so even when you may not find something that you love actually when it's part of a bigger thing it can be a really interesting flavor mm-hmm. So say you've got something really random, like we noticed that one of your beers has got lobster in it. How do you go about taking such a a completely non-traditional beer-based element and then putting it in beer? So that beer came about because both Brett and I absolutely love Bisque and Brett and I had a Biscoff. Can you just tell me what a Biscoff is? <laughs> Basically, we both made Bisk at home and brought it in and, and got everyone to vote on which was the best Bisk. So we're, we're competitive buggers. Um, <laughs> but we just love those flavours. Can we recreate something that's inspired by those flavours and get it into a beer? So that it adds something but maybe doesn't dominate. I mean, the balance is always part of it. And that beer was super exciting to make, a great fun and had the best team lunch ever after that. <laughs> so was it the sort of ceremonial dipping of the lobsters? Was that what it was? <laughs> yeah, we cooked lobsters in the work. <laughs> yeah. And then for 12 minutes, we then took the flesh out of the lobsters, put the shells back under the grill and then put that back in, in the boil as well. So we tried to really maximise the impact from the, the lobsters and the shells. It was amazing. It was an amazing beer to make and, and great fun. And I think the great thing about that was we incorporated that into a, into a beer, but the beer was a really interesting, exciting beer to taste as well. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Um, So I read an article recently that Tesco's have got like a couple of sours coming into their main range. Does that excite you in that it's going to be available to more consumers, more people will be aware of sour beer as a style? Or does it kind of worry you that we'll see a more diluted range of sour beers that people aren't following the same methods you follow here, for example? I've got pretty much mixed feelings on that, actually. I do think it's good that sour beer is getting out there. I think one of the problems that not just in this country, but around the world is that sour beer is too big a category to be called sour beer Uh, let's be honest a a kettle sour is a very quick and simple beer to make but it's quite a one-dimensional beer that's not to say there are not some nice ones out there but it's not the same as the 500 oak barrels here very slowly making sour beer that have a level of complexity and balance to them that you just can't get when you make a very acidic beer very quickly i was asked at the beginning of the year if i thought sour beer was going to be a trend for this year and i don't think in any way it's going to be a mainstream trend at all this year because I don't think there's enough people making 
really good, interesting, exciting sour beers. Beer's become such an industrialised process, such an industrialised product that for so long it's been about price and now there are premium options out there and there are different ways of people approaching making beer and I do think there's some challenges on that but the premiumization of some beer styles is is only a good thing right that people make slow beer in the same way they make slow cheese I'm here on a dairy and they make one of the best cheeses in the world but it's aged for well over a year and they have to do that and it's not a block cheddar that you buy in Tesco's so we have to work out how we communicate with the consumer for them to understand what we're trying to do I suppose I was wondering because lots of your beers go in barrels and each barrel might have a different flavour and each year the barrel tastes slightly different do you struggle with sort of like consistency in terms of flavours so we look at the different beers have different parameters for consistency so on our bibble on our pale ale we're looking for pretty small parameters we want that consistency however we know that every time we make modus operandi it's a blend of 25 to 30 oak barrels worth of beer some of them might have been aged for 18 months some of them might have been aged for three months from two different varieties of of barrel in bourbon barrels and red wine barrels we know we're not going to get um working to the same level of parameter of consistency that we do to bibble that we do to modus operandi it's a much wider thing now it's still going to be the same style of beer but some of them are going to be different to others on a lot of the beers like that we maybe bring them out once a year so for with our redwood for example that has different forage fruits in it depending on what's grown well what's been a good year and what's around us in the hedgerows so we're going to have some differences there but we tend to talk about those beers maybe in terms of being a vintage um, in the same way that a winemaker might and we accept that different years and different uh, ingredients and different barrels are going to have that so we work to just wider parameters and I think if, as long as you explain that and you talk about that maybe on your bottle or, or in, in the literature that surrounds what you do then I think that's a pretty good answer for people and it can also be something that's really exciting is, is 2015's Redwood Vintage better or worse than 2016? Do you find that like quite a lot of wine enthusiasts really like wild beer because of that? Whenever we, we quite often actually go to wine festivals and we actually do find a lot of wine drinkers get the flavours and understand things like the level of acidity. You know, if you're a white wine drinker and you get, get given our sourdough beer, it's a pale acidic beer, a very similar pH. It makes sense to a white wine drinker. And of course, it's at 3.6% rather than 13, 14%. It actually makes sense in the alcohol as well. Mm. We love the names that you guys give the beers. <laughs> Just want to know a little bit about the, the process of, uh, of coming up with some of those names. Uh, we hate naming beers. <laughs> we think we're terrible at it. It's really, really hard. It's probably the hardest thing about the whole process is naming a beer. We really worked hard to, to avoid puns for a really long time. And then Stu brewed uh, Breakfast of Champignons last year and uh, he ruined our non-pun <laughs> rules. And because it was such a good pun, we couldn't do anything but go with it. Were you sort of inspired by other breweries to form Wild Beer? Because to me, it's quite unique. There was the, obviously the traditional Belgian breweries who we take a lot of inspiration from. We actually went to quite a few very traditional cider farms who make a lot of barrel-aged ciders and things like that, and we took some inspiration from what they were doing. 
And then also looking at those guys in the US who had maybe a slightly more modern take on making sour beer than the traditional Belgian guys. And at that time, it one, it felt like no one was doing it in the UK. But two, it to us felt like the holy grail of making wild forage, exciting beer. And so I guess it was all those things, when you bring them all together, that made it a very exciting thing to want to do. Um, and, and we just followed followed our heart a little bit with it, I think, really. Actually, one of the really cool things that's happened in our business over the last year or two is the, the way that the team has really grown in, into it and become key and central to what we do. My two favourite beers that we made last year, one was Breakfast of Champignons, which was made by Stu, and one was Smoke and Barrel Summer, which was made by Jasper. And those two guys who've been with us now over three years, my two favourite beers were made by team members rather than, than Brett and I. So that was a really cool thing for us that's you know the team moving forward and not all the creativity just coming from us anymore and sharing that out makes us better and stronger and that's super exciting to me so you're really well known for doing these quite sort of boundary pushing kind of beers why do you think you guys are one of the few people who are really doing like pushing those flavors why do you think more brewers aren't aren't taking those kind of risks i guess we we do what we do because we are excited by taste and flavour in the same way that a Michelin-starred chef might approach their food and look at ingredients in a different way than someone who makes pub food. Now, you can make an amazing burger. There's God knows how many burger restaurants in this country right now, and some of them are incredibly good at what they do. And it's kind of the same with beer, right? There's an awful lot of pale ales made in this country right now, and some of them are amazing. And those people are brilliant at what they do, but they don't push the boundaries because they're not interested in pushing those Mm -hmm. boundaries. It's not their thing. Mm -hmm. And they love those pale ales, and they're passionate about them, and they're brilliant at them. And we just maybe approach things differently because that's our mindset. We're just excited by different tastes and flavours and we want to try and show those off in a different way. In so many industries in this country, we almost get held back by our traditions. Mm. And that's cool up to a point, but people get excited by taste and flavour. They want to go and taste Heston Blumenthal's food or Tom Kerridge's food (laughs) or those guys who do amazing things with food and flavour. I guess we want to approach making beer in that kind of different way. Wild Beer was an amazing brewery to visit in a beautiful part of the world. So from Wild Beer's amazing slow beers to our beer. At the beginning of this episode, we tried our hand at brewing our own quickly soured beer. Inspired by the concept of making a beer that doesn't taste like beer, we decided to make one that tastes like a mojito cocktail. Here's how it went down when we first tasted it. So, first beer that we brewed is a mojito sour inspired by the popular beverage, the mojito, which is a sour beer infused with lime and mint that was soaked in... Uh, I think we went for quite a quite a premium rum, didn't we? We didn't even go for basic. Uh, yeah, it was pretty dark rum, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, OK. Not conventional, but I can see why that might be delicious. Also because it has sugar in quite a lot of the time, and we didn't want to put sugar in it, so we thought a dark rum, that can have a little bit of a kind of sugary taste to it too, so... I like it. So, I actually can smell mint. I thought I wouldn't. And the lime comes through really strongly as well. It's awesome. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, limey, minty, very sour. 
what I like is because it's really sour and because it's you get lots of lime acidity, the way that it kind of sits, like keeps going on your palate, feels like the kind of boozy taste of a mojito you know like a proper mojito that's like half rum half other things Mm -hmm. really like leaves you with that like boozy finish you get that from the the lactic acid and the the lime even though it's only 4.4 percent exactly yeah way to replace your cocktail with a beer i'd like it to come in a more fancy vessel if possible i think this would be awesome served with fresh mint as well Mm -hmm. obviously this was just the first go at brewing this beer how would you go about sort of improving it um, I think the only change I would make is uh, the difference between um, when it was packaged and now is that the mint has subsided just a little bit, which is, it's always going to happen. Like mint and herbs in general are quite delicate flavors. So I would either up the amount of mint or serve it incredibly fresh. Because it's a sour, I don't necessarily think that this is a beer that needs an enormous amount of conditioning time. Um, so it might be one to serve very fresh. Um, do you like it, Liz? I really like it. I think it tastes like a mojito. Anything more that you'd want from it? It's very limey, very minty. Um, rum, I think. I guess rum. More rum. But. <laughs> maybe, so maybe boozier? Yeah. Um, I mean, sours don't generally kind of rise above the kind of 5% mark, but this might be a, a place to, to go from there. I mean, I wouldn't change much else. The colour's beautiful. It's really yeah, light. Um, carbonation's nice. It's got really nice mouthfeel. It's, yeah, it's, it's a nice beer, guys. I feel like we are on to a winner here because we basically just say, can we put these things into a beer? <laughs> and somehow you make our weird shit work. <laughs> yeah, no, we've done something right here. <laughs> so I think I know what you're going to say, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Are you happy for your name to be on this beer and for this beer to be served in New Brew? Oh, absolutely. I would put my name to this beer. I would brew it again. I would, yes. <laughs> All in all, I'd say it was a pretty good start to season two. If you want to try our mojito sour, you can, for a limited time only. This coming weekend, Ubrew London will have muddled the mojito sour available in the taproom. If you fancy having a go at brewing your own beer, Ubrew are offering We Made a Beer podcast listeners 20% off brew courses with the code WMAB20, as in We Made a Beer 20. Next week, we knuckle down and get to grips with what makes good beer good. We get tasting tips from the thinking drinkers, catch up with the team at Thornbridge Brewery and try our hand at recipe improvement to better the shocking IPA we made in season one. Before we go, here's another reminder that we've partnered up with honestbrew.co.uk to help you get your hands on some of the beers mentioned in this podcast. Use the code WEMADEABEER at checkout to get £10 off your first beer order. If you like this series, please do leave us a review and share us with your friends. When you review our podcast, you help us to move up the chart, which makes our podcast more visible to more people. We'd love it if We Made a Beer got into more people's ear holes. So if you've got a foodie friend or a parent who's into pubs, please do share We Made a Beer with them. As always, if you want to get in touch, drop us a message. We're at We Made a Beer on all the social channels. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hi. (laughs) 